0: Ooh, I like that intro, huh? Ooh, that'll put you in the mood for Christmas. Good to have you with us. Are you guys doing well? Good. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This is our Certainty in a World of Doubt teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to Luke. Subtitle is Christmas Gifts. Last weekend, we unwrapped the Christmas gift of certainty. And so this weekend, we're going to unwrap the Christmas gift of promise. Grab your sermon notes out, also turn to the gospel according to Luke, and we will uh, begin our reading in just a few moments uh, at verse five, and we'll work our way to verse 25 in chapter one of the gospel of Luke. Um, Through the years as a pastor, I've discovered uh, that people defect from the faith for two primary reasons. What I mean by defect from the faith, maybe if you're uh, from a church background, we used to call it backsliding. Anybody familiar with that term, backsliding? I never understood that as a kid because I'd hear my parents talk about that, and I thought that it was actually talking literally, your back was sliding, okay? It seemed a little bit weird to me. And then as I grew up, I began to realize, no, it's defection from the faith. People defect from the faith for two, two primary reasons. One is that they are deceived. They are deceived by the pleasures of sin Another reason is that they are disillusioned by the pain of suffering. And I've also discovered that the way that you're able to overcome both of those, either one of those, is that it's, it's the promises of God, it's God's promises, or the power of God's promises break the power of sin's promises and suffering's perplexities. People don't sin out of out of duty. We sin because it offers a promise of happiness. We all want to be happy, and so people are convinced that if they pursue a certain path outside of what God establishes, they actually think they're going to be happier. Nothing could be further from the truth. You're deceived by the pleasures of, of sin, and that's one reason why people defect. Another, as I've stated, is that it's... Uh, you become disillusioned by the perplexities of, of suffering. How, where is God in all of this? And the way that the power, the power of both of those are broken is by the power of God's promises working in our life because God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. The Bible makes that very clear. Let me do a quick survey here by show of hands. Have there been times in your life when the events of your life caused you to question God's promises, God's, God's love, wisdom, and power working in your life. Show of hands, show of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much all three services this weekend. Yeah, you're just like, that spins me around. I don't understand. What, why would he allow this? Why is this happening? Why am I struggling? What is this about? And so what do you do when you feel like God has let you down? What do you do? And um, in this study, we're going to meet a couple who have faced decades of political upheaval on the outside because of a tyrant king and personal turmoil on the inside because of the struggle of infertility and reproach from society. And we'll get a chance to kind of look into their life here. You can see kind of how the the notes are laid out. So how do we hold on to our faith even when God doesn't make sense? I've got seven statements of faith and truth that we're going to draw from this story. But before we do that, we're going to pray and then we'll read the text and then unpack these notes. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's ask for God's help to understand and apply these truths to our lives. Father God, through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, help us to see that there is something far worse than disappointment with you, and that is disappointment without you. It's not how great the sin or suffering is... But where it lies, may it not come between us, God. May it not come between us, but press us near your heart, our promise-making and promise-keeping, God. We pray this in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, amen. So take a look at this text. Now, I'm going to read completely through the text. I promise to do that without any commentary, okay? You guys... (laughs) No, no, seriously, I'm going to do that. This is, this is an amazing story, but I'm going to be tempted because it's a phenomenal story, but I'm going to save all my commentary for the notes as we work through this. But I just wanted you to, to hear the story completely without my commentary. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try real hard. Starting in verse 5, chapter 1 of Luke, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zachariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he... Will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers. To the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the people, for the Lord, a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out, He was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute and when the time of service had ended he went to his home and after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach among people." This is the word of the Lord to us. Yeah, oh, I love it. This is good stuff. Okay, here we go. Now, what are the promises of God that, that we can count on? I must always remember, and here's some statements I think we can draw from this story. So what, what are we talking about here? How do we keep from becoming disillusioned by the, the pain of suffering? How do we keep from being deceived by the pain? By the, pleasures of sin. That's what we're talking about here. It's the promises of God that break the power of the promises of sin and suffering. And so, uh, another way we could say that, because God is my sovereign savior, here's your first uh, two fill in the blanks, my plans have a limit. Because God is my sovereign savior, my plans have a limit. Zachariah and Elizabeth no doubt had great plans for the future when they got married, Maybe to have their own place, maybe a farm, house full of kids, grow old together, someday have grandkids, but things didn't work out as planned. In fact, look at verse 5 in the text. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. It's so easy to kind of read through that, but the people of that culture knew exactly what Luke was talking about there. King Herod, king of Judea, this guy was a tyrant, when he was threatened, he murdered members of his own family. He, met, he murdered members of his own court. And in fact, this is, the, this is the guy who ordered the murder of all male children, two years old and younger, in the region, as you can read in Matthew 2.16. Remember when the Magi came in to inquire about the birth of the Savior? He freaks out. And he orders the murder of all of these kids, two years old and younger. He taxed Jews through the temple to build cities and temples in honor of Roman emperors and deities. He made it prosperous for the powerful but horrific for everyone else. So, so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're living under hard times, oppression by this leader. But also, verse 7, we see they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. I love how the King James puts the, this idea, this advanced in years. It actually says, stricken in years. So look around. Are there some people here that are maybe stricken in years here this morning? Yeah, there's a whole lot of you that are stricken in years. I can tell from up here. You're all stricken in years. Now, what that means is that they were, they were beyond the uh, childbearing years. But actually... I would say that if you're past 33, you're stricken in years, okay? That's just the way it is. Your body starts breaking down, okay? From that point on, it's all downhill. I mean, most athletes, that's where they start kind of not performing at that level that they used to when they were younger. But but that's a little bit, that's just really to help us to understand what was going on in their life. So they experienced political limitations or cultural or economical limitations on the outside and personal limitations on the inside. Let me do another survey here. Show of hands. How many would say that there are things in your life that have not gone as planned? Show of hands. <laughs> oh yeah, that's most of us. Yeah. You can relate to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Wow, that didn't go as planned. And maybe it was maybe it was romance. Maybe it was marriage. Maybe it was your finances. Maybe it was a career pursuit. Maybe it's your health. Hadn't gone as planned. It's not going as planned. That's what they were experiencing. Here's what the Bible says about our our plans. And by the way, let me just say this, is that we live in a culture today, good old God bless America, I love love living here, but man, we say some really stupid stuff here. You know, we say things like, "You you can be whatever you set your mind to be. Well, that's simply not true, okay? Whatever you set your mind to be I mean, there's a lot of things I wanted to be or become, and I set my mind to it, but, but my DNA let me down. <laughs> I mean, I had the training, I had the desire, I wanted to be a world-class runner, and this old body couldn't go any faster, and it was a young body at the time, but I just couldn't run any faster, it was DNA, I was I was limited. And, and that's just one of many limitations that we all face. And so this is what the Bible says, Romans 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Okay, so there, we're going to knock that, that whole idea that you can, you know, just believe it and you can have it and you can experience it. Well, that's not true. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 2131 puts it this way: the the horse is made ready for battle, but victory is in the hands of the Lord. So it doesn't mean that you don't try to do the best with what you have. Horses made ready for battle. Yeah, you should have plans. Yeah, you should try to achieve great things for God. And yet, as you're achieving those great things for God and you're establishing those plans, you put those plans in God's hands. And ultimately you've got to be okay with that and say, okay, God. I'm going to make the horse ready for battle, but victory's in your hands. And so however this comes out, however this works out, it's in your hands. I'm going to be okay with that. I'm going to be OK with the lot that you, you give me in life. I'm not going to quit, I'm going to keep going. And, and that's why I really think that we can have the, the heart of, of Paul, and he defines his heart here in Philippians 4:13. That's one of those verses that we put on coffee mugs and plaques in our house, and, and we misunderstand that verse terribly. It's, uh, "I can do all things through who?" through Christ who strengthens me, and, and we go, well, I can accomplish anything. Well, not, not, not really. Sorry. He's, he's actually quoting that, and he's saying that in the context of, of really bad circumstances, and all he's saying is that you can be content. You can be content regardless of whatever your lot is in life. That's what he's saying. Because he goes through, he talks about contentment in the context of contentment, by the way, he's chained to a praetorian guard. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he's gonna live or die. And yet he says, I've learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he goes through a whole set of different kinds of circumstances and he says, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. My contentment is in Christ and and I think that he was able to trust his past to God's mercy his present to God's love and his future to God's providence as Augustine says that's what we need to do and and when we do that there can be a contentment but but more importantly my plans have a limit because I can also believe the next point on my on the notes there is my pain has a purpose That because God is my sovereign savior, my plans have a limit, but my pain has a purpose. It was certainly painful living under the tyrant rule of King Herod, but the pain of infertility was also very horrible because in this culture, people believed childlessness was a sign of God's displeasure. And so that brought great shame and reproach It says in verse seven, both were advanced in years beyond hope of ever having children. Certainly they heard the whispers of people saying, I wonder what sins they have in their lives. They must have a lack of faith. God is displeased with them. They certainly heard that and felt that, that reproach. But their barrenness was not divine punishment, but divine providence. Our lives are not in the grip of blind chance or fate, but in the hands of a loving, wise, powerful creator. And just because you can't see a reason why God allows something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one or thousands. And in fact, there might, you might not ever on this side of eternity ever be able to come up with a reason why you went through the difficulty or the suffering or the struggle that you went through. And yet, And yet, because God is our sovereign Savior, my plans have a limit, but my pain has a purpose. We did a whole series, a whole study on this back uh, this summer when we went through the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. It was more than conquerors, it was part seven, an astounding promise. And we looked at Romans 8, 28 through 30. And you remember, we talked about, and I, twice this last year, we've talked about this. My bad things will work out for my good. My truly good things cannot be taken from me and, and my best things are yet to come. That's what Romans 8, 28 through 30 make very clear. And then you have Genesis 50, 20, which is, it's the Old Testament, Romans eight twenty-eight. Remember that, that's Joseph after all that he went through. And there's, he's looking into the eyes of his perpetrators, his brothers, who sold him into slavery. But God, through his providential hand, took him from the pit, to prison, to the palace, second in command, and now he's looking into the eyes of his perpetrators and he says, hey, you guys intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He was able to see the providential hand of God. And so my inconsolable anxiety, bitterness, and despair are signs of distrusting the providence and promise of God. My plans have a limit. My pain has a purpose, but my prayers have power. Next point on your notes. My prayers have power. Verse 9: Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the holy place. Not to be confused with the Holy of Holies. You guys familiar with the Holy of Holies in the temple? And so, this is as close as you could come to the presence of God without going into the Holy of Holies. That was designated only for the high priest once a year. And uh, so, he was able, he was selected here. He was chosen by law to enter the holy place to burn incense and because of the large number of priests and they were estimated anywhere from 17 to 20,000 priests most would never be chosen for such a duty and no one was permitted to serve in this capacity twice so once you performed this and served in this capacity you can never do it again so this was a supreme moment in Zechariah's life in verses 11 through 14 While performing this task, an angel of the Lord appears and Zechariah responds with fear, which is normal for a divine visitation. And the angel says to him, and this is what all angels typically say, the very first word that comes out of an angel's mouth is what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For your prayer has been heard. That's the first thing that he says. Don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. I mean, that would be a good word for us this morning, wouldn't it? I think that some, there's maybe a few folks here this morning, you need to hear that. Don't be afraid. Don't get stressed out. Don't freak out. Don't worry. Your prayer has been heard. He's, he hears you. He's with you. He knows you. He, he, he knows the struggle. He knows the tossing and turning in your bed at night. He knows when you get up and paves the floor. He knows all of that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's heard your prayer. Those are good words. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and then the angel gives him the promise of a son. I think there's a number of truths that we can draw from that as it relates to my prayers have power. Impossibilities are opportunities for God to do his best work. I mean, this is an impossible situation that they're facing. And so, impossibilities are opportunities for God to do his best work. Do you have a prodigal son or daughter? Are you on a struggle with, in, with an incurable disease? Is your marriage spiraling toward divorce? Finances hopelessly upside down? Are you stuck in a hurt habit? Or, or any kind of thing that you, you just can't seem to get over? Impossibilities are opportunities for God to do his best work. I think another thing is we can understand from this is that God invites us to bring our needs and desires to Him. We did a teaching series, we called it Thrive. It was the last series. In part four, we talked about prayer. And here were a couple of the key verses as it related to prayer. James 4.2, We have not because we what? Because we ask not. And it also says in 5.16 of James that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So what those two verses are telling us is that prayer causes things to happen that otherwise wouldn't happen if we don't pray. There's things that you're doing without in your life because you fail to pray. He's saying we have not because we ask not. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. There's things that happen when we talk to God, when we bring our needs to God. There's a promise. That's part of the promise of God's word. And so that's, that's part of that. I think that's important. Now let me take that a step further. Though God w- loves meeting our needs, God loves meeting our desires. So God invites us to bring our needs and desires to him, but nothing, absolutely nothing compares to resting in his presence, joyfully content to just be with him. There was a closeness that Zechariah experienced that no one else had that experience. He was just outside the Holy of Holies. Can you imagine that? And then have a divine visitor show up right there. I mean, he has this major God encounter, this opportunity that's just absolutely amazing. Now, keep in mind, in ancient times, people had to travel to Jerusalem to know God's presence in the temple. But we today, through Jesus, can draw near anytime, any place, a gift at infinite cost, we have his presence. Almost, almost as, as, as if to say, and in fact, it is to say that we, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. That when Christ was crucified on the cross, that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom in essence saying, we now have access into the very throne room of God that we can have his presence. We can know him. We can experience him. My prayers have power. Yes, he loves meeting our needs and fulfilling our desires, but most importantly, we have his presence. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is the deepest and most lasting happiness found? Let me give you two options. You can yell out the right option here out very, do it nice and loud. Do it with conviction. But, but let me ask this question. Where's the deepest and the most lasting happiness found? From God or in God? In God. Okay, some of you guys kind of, kind of, it, was, it wasn't, okay, that, I wasn't very impressed, okay? <laughs> okay, let me ask you this question again. Where is the most, what is, the, where is the deepest and the most lasting happiness found? From in God. Oh, okay, that was good, yeah. That was even before I gave you the options again, okay? You guys were on that. From God or in God? In God. Yeah. Do you believe that? See, Zechariah and Elizabeth desperately wanted a child, and then living under this reproach and shame of this culture, I can't help but think that there are people that are here this morning, this weekend, that are saying, wow, if I could just... If I could just have this, if I could achieve this, if I could accomplish that, if I could... oh my goodness, if I could if I could just get married, if we could just have kids, if we could just get rid of these kids... <laughs> okay, maybe not that one. Maybe that wasn't. The what was I thinking when I wanted to get married now that I'm... I, I mean, actually, it's, yeah, I've seen people so desperate to want to get married, and then they get married, and then they go, What was I thinking? Yeah, what were you thinking? You thought that you were going to find the, the deepest longing of your soul satisfied in that? No, listen, listen. Let me ask you the question again. Where is the deepest and the most lasting happiness found, from God or in God? Yeah. In God. So, yes, 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 it's fantastic when he... When he meets our needs and and fulfills our desires, no doubt about it. I love all of that, but nothing compares to his presence and knowing him. Don't ever don't ever substitute something in creation for the creator and what he can do for you in your life. It's so easy for us to do that. We fall prey to that. And in fact, I, I think that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, No eye has seen, nor, nor ear heard, nor heart can even imagine or dream what God has in store for those who love him. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's more stuff. I think it's more of God, knowing God, experiencing God. Having God in your, listen, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have God in your life. Oh, my goodness, the greatest blessing of all is knowing him. And he had an encounter with God that he'll never forget, and he had a promise from God to have a a son. No doubt about it, that was absolutely wonderful. So my plans have a limit because God is my sovereign Savior, and, and I must always remember these things. What are the promises of God that that we can count on. Because God is my sovereign savior, my plans have a limit, my pain has purpose, my prayers have power. My impatience, my impatience casts suspicion on God's greatness and goodness. We gotta talk about some serious issues here because we see something happen in Zechariah's life. So my impatience, or we could say my unbelief, because that's what we see in Zechariah. Or I could say my anxiety, my anger, my, my inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression, my ingratitude cast suspicion on God's greatness and goodness. Does that, does that make sense to you? That when I have these kind of negative emotions, it's, it's a reflection on whether or not do I trust God's greatness and goodness? Verses 18 through 19, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. (laughs) I love how he says that. Hi, my name's Ray. I'm an old man. Meet my wife, Nancy, who's advanced in years. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that's diplomatic or if that was a nice way to say it. It's like, she's, I'm an old man, but she's advanced in years. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, okay. Well, won't go any further with that. But, uh, but what's interesting about, I mean, that's obviously, what is that? Would, would that be classified as kind of like, uh, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm here to give you a promise. And I've given you a promise. And you'd, you'd let it bounce off of you like a, like a bullet on a rock or what's, what's going on here? Why would he deflect that? Why would he push that away? What's going on in his life? How, how do you think the angel responds? Listen to how he responds. This is what the angel responds to him. So, okay, so I, I understand. You all have a lot of great excuses, okay? I do too. We all struggle with a lot of excuses. And so God wants to do some pretty powerful things in our life, but we always make these kind of excuses. Well, I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm struggling with this. But God, do you really understand? And the angel responds by saying, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, that's what the angel says. It's like, what? You gotta be kidding. Weren't you just kind of fearful a few moments ago? And now you're gonna push this, this away that I'm telling you? He says, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. That's heavy, that is heavy. He's like, you have no idea who you're dealing with. Listen, buddy. I mean, I kind of get that feel. It's like, come here, dude. What the heck is wrong with you? I stand in the presence of God. These are the very words of God. You know, the one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one who loves you, the one who adores you. This is from the very mouth of God. This is what he's saying. This is good news. I bring you good news. Now, what's interesting is to study the contrast, and you'll get a chance next week as we study through the life of Mary and the promise that the angel gives to her of this virgin birth and the Christ child and, uh, in Luke 1.34. She responds out of doubt, and uh, Zechariah is responding really out of unbelief because he even says that. And in fact, the, the angel says here, says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So here's what we, we can learn from this my impatience my unbelief cast suspicion on God's goodness and greatness his response is like don't you understand how great and good God is obviously not so when God is big problems are small when problems are big God is small your problems big God is small You don't have an accurate view of God. This is where he is. He doesn't have an accurate view of God. His view of God is not consistent with what the Bible teaches. So when I'm overwhelmed by the trials of life, when I'm overtaken by the temptations of life, it's because I have a small view of God. I don't understand the promises of God that break the power of sins, promise, and sufferings, perplexities. I need a big view of God. God. And, and what I've learned through the years, how many have ever discussed, uh, hopefully over the holidays you didn't discuss politics, but, uh, but over the Thanksgiving, I won't have you raise your hand if you did, I don't see any black eyes or anything like that, but, uh, but maybe you did talk a little bit about God, that would be really cool, and, and how many have ever discussed God with someone, but they kept... Uh, they, they wanted to argue with you. And this is what I found as it relates to this kind of arguing back and forth is that doubt will ask honest questions but unbelief refuses to hear the answers. Doubt typically is humility. Unbelief is really more about pride. So I won't usually give much time to somebody that wants to argue with me about things. They just, everything I say, don't confuse me with the facts I've already made up my mind kind of an attitude. It's like... You can't say anything to him. You get a little bit of that with with Zachariah as opposed to Mary who's a little bit more open and she's responding out of doubt. He's responding more out of unbelief. And I think there's a really an important point here and that is there is a hardness of heart, a jadedness that comes from years of trial, difficulty and disappointment that we have to be careful with. Having uh, been on the, f- the fire department as a paramedic with Phoenix Fire, and then uh, a number of firefighters that attend here, Desert Breeze also first responders, police officers have a number that attend here. And what I've noticed with first responders, I also noticed this with uh, with medical personnel, people that are nurses and and doctors and all of that. And also, a number of years ago, we had a guy that was from Channel 5 News that told me this, it was Brian Mims. He actually said that he also noticed there was almost kind of a jadedness among a lot of newscasters. And, And what happens is that when you are inundated and exposed with just a harshness and a hard side of life over time, if you don't guard your heart, you become very jaded, very hard, very calloused, very cynical, very sarcastic. And I don't think you need to be a first responder or a news reporter. Uh, I think just life. I've seen a lot of people just go through life. They take hits in life. And, if, and, and it, you get a little bit of this from Zechariah, He's taken some hits in life, and he just has kind of an unbelief, jaded attitude. Oh, really? I'm old. My wife's advancing years. And he's saying, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. Pff. Cynicism. Just an attitude. That's the reason why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 26, and 27, be angry. Anger is is kind of a secondary emotion to to hurts. Oftentimes, it can be from other things too. And it can be a very good thing in our lives. But he's, he's saying, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Because when we don't work through those issues, our hearts become hard and calloused. And therefore, that's why we need really the next thing. My progress in the faith will need discipline. And that's exactly what we see in verse 20. Listen to what he says. The angel says, And behold. The word behold is an interesting word. I had somebody between services tell me that word behold is a, is a significant word. And so I, behold means, Hey, listen up, buddy. Pay attention. Focus on this. Behold. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. I mean, I was thinking about this. This is crazy. I mean, this is almost like a divine time out, isn't it? Okay, buddy, you're going over in the corner for a long time because of your unbelief. And I want you, while you're standing in the corner, to think about what you just said to me. (laughs) I mean, do you get the same feeling here? I mean, that's how I see it. Divine timeout, silence and solitude imposed by God. So you're not going to be able to hear, nor will you be able to speak because of your unbelief. So this is there's a lot of humor in this. That's the reason why I was I had to be careful not to say anything as I walked through the story because here's a guy. He comes out of the temple and he's supposed to give the uh, this uh, ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you when he comes out from burning incense to all the people and they're waiting outside, kind of. Where where's Zechariah? What's happening here? What's going on? Finally, he comes out and all the guy can do is just like. they're like, what happened to him? He must have saw something in there. He had some sort of an encounter. And then I can't help but think that when he went home, what do you think his wife was thinking? All they could do was go, mm. hmm, hmm. And she was probably thinking, praise God. Silence and solitude. You get silence and solitude, I get silence and solitude. This is wonderful. I mean, so you, I mean, as you walk through the story, there's just a lot of interesting humor here, and you're kind of wondering, how did that, how did they work, how was he able to communicate to her, hey, honey, we need to, wink, wink, uh, <laughs> because God's promised us a child, and so you know what that means? Okay, I won't take it any further than that, but... Uh, but, I mean, as you're working through this, but this guy could not talk, and he was deaf. Silence and solitude. In our Thrive series, we talked about the importance of silence and solitude. It's, it's kind of a, this is a divine, divinely imposed silence and solitude. And silence and solitude is learning how to take a break from the chaos of life to behold the glory of Christ and become whole. And what I've found in, in, in my life that when I find myself extremely anxious, worry, worry believes that God is going to get it wrong. Worry believes that God's going to get it wrong. I need silence and solitude. I, I need to spend some time just beholding the goodness of God. Because right now I've got a real small view of God. That's why I've got the worry in my life. Bitterness believes that God did get it wrong. Despair believes that God can't make it right. I mean, I was thinking of how God does this in our life. Sometimes he gives us these divine timeouts through sickness, loss of job, relocation, abandonment by friends and family. And it's almost like he's saying, hey, I want you to think long and hard. I want you to to come away with me for a season, I want to speak to you. It's, it's, the, it's the Psalm 4610 uh, that says, be still and know that I'm God. Step out of the traffic and take a long loving look at me, your high God. Because your, your worry and your anxiety and your despair shows me that you don't see me in my greatness and goodness like you should see my greatness and goodness. And that's what we see in that. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says, God disciplines us so that we can share in his holiness and the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But what's interesting about this whole text on discipline is that verse 15, a little bit further down, he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and a bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. So he's just saying, allow, allow these difficulties and this divinely ordained time out to draw your heart to me so that I can soften your heart by my grace. So God does not condemn, but is perfecting a greater and more robust faith in Zechariah who will soon be not just a priest, but a prophet. Because we're going to get to it in the first chapter in verses 67 to 79. It is amazing. When he finally is able to open up his mouth, he begins to prophesy unlike anybody he begins to proclaim the glory of Christ. You see that there is a change that took place in his heart as a result of this silence and solitude. So, so here's what we can learn before we move on to the next, uh, next last two uh, points here is that even though God may be silent, even though God may be silent in your life, maybe you're kind of working through this whole thing and you're saying, man, I, where's God? Where's God? I don't even know if I can hear him. I don't even remember the last time I really heard God. Even though God is silent, he is not absent. Even though God is silent, he is not absent. He is still working for your good and his glory. How do you know that? we must believe and trust God's word because God's word says it. You're not gonna be able to tell it, are not gonna be able to see it through your circumstances or the people or the things in your life, but you can know that by God's word. That's what Zechariah heard. That's what the angel was saying. I was sent to speak to you the very words of the creator. And so when we open up God's word, these are the very words of the creator made alive to our hearts and lives for us. To remind us that when our life is spinning around, we feel like, he's abandoned me. No, no, he hasn't. He's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He adores you. He gave his life for you. Don't forget that. The word of God tells us that. And so the next one, my perseverance has a payoff. My perseverance has a payoff. Verse 6. Oh, I love this. I don't know if you saw this in the, in the reading, in the first reading uh, that we read through that. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What? They were righteous? The first part of that is that they had uh, an imputed righteousness. That's what that means, justification. And the second one is sanctification. It's an imparted righteousness, Wait, 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 these are Old Testament people. Here's the deal. A lot of people think that the Old Testament is a different religion from the New Testament. It's not. It's not a different religion. They, they get saved just the, way, the same way we do. They look they ahead to the Messiah. We look back to the Messiah. It's, it's still by faith. Romans 4, Hebrews 11 makes that really clear. And, and you can see it in this text. That they had this imputed righteousness, they had this imparted righteousness. See, Jesus did not come to oppose the Old Testament law and sacrificial system, but to affirm them and to fulfill them. Jesus is the temple to end all temples. He is the priest to end all priests. He is the sacrifices to end all sacrifices. He is the fulfillment. So everything in the Old Testament is a shadow and it's all pointing ahead to Jesus. And, and that's what we see in their life and, and what was their payoff for their perseverance verses 14 through 17 the birth of John will fill you with joy and gladness and many will rejoice and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children of the children to their fathers it's fulfillment of Malachi 4 chapter 4 verses 5 through 6 and I, I was thinking about this imagine if Zechariah and Elizabeth had imagine this they had just given up on, on marriage. It's like, pfft, you're barren. I don't know if it's for me or you or whatever, but whatever, we're not, we're not gonna have a legacy. We don't have any kids. I'm not hanging out with you anymore. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, this is it. I'll give you a certificate of divorce. Moses said it was okay, okay? So here it is. Can you imagine if they did that? What, what, if, what if they stayed together but they said, okay, we're just going to hang in here together a bit, but man, God's let us down and we're out of here. We're not, we're not going to follow him anymore. They wouldn't have experienced what they're experiencing. I've seen people do that and it breaks my heart. Remember when I started this, I said people defect from the faith for two reasons. They defect because of they are de- deceived by the pleasures of sin. Actually, actually thinking, it's crazy, it's insane, I know it, but they actually think that they're gonna find greater pleasure in this world, in creation, apart from the creator. It's not gonna happen. Second reason is that people become disillusioned by the pain of suffering. Like, where is God in all this? Listen, listen, He's working. He's working even when you can't see Him working. He is working. You've got to trust His Word. You've got to go back to His Word. You've got to bury yourself in His Word. That's your reality. His Word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. When things are dark and overwhelming us and, and trying to take us out, we've we got to come back to, to God's Word. And we need to know that my perseverance has has a payoff. That's why it tells us in Galatians 6, 9, and do not grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I can't help but think that that's for a few folks here this morning. Some of you are like ready to throw in a towel. Like forget this stuff. Listen, do not, do not grow weary in well-doing because in due season... In due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't give up. I don't care how dark it gets, how difficult it gets. Keep pursuing him. There's a payoff to my perseverance. They hung in there. They were righteous before the eyes of God. They, they, they were even understood that idea of sanctification. They had an imparted righteousness and an imparted... They had an imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. They hung in there. Yeah, he had unbelief, but God brought some discipline and helped him with that as our Father does with us. I love what it tells us in Hebrews 11:24 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ? What? Wait, 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 wait. This is This is Moses, the reproach of Christ. Christ was nowhere to be found. Yeah. Wait a minute. He's all over the Old Testament. Yeah, he he's writing this because they were all looking ahead to the Messiah. They were putting their faith in in the Messiah, the coming Messiah that would save them. And all of the the laws and all of the sacrifices represented Jesus who would be the fulfillment of all that. And so this is, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. The promises of God break the power of sin's promise and suffering's perplexity. No pleasure on earth compares to knowing and experiencing God's boundless and irresistible love through Christ that overcomes sin and suffering. Here's the last point. God's purposes slash promises will ultimately prevail. That's, that's the lesson of the story. That's the meaning of Christmas Really, one of the many meanings of Christmas, God's purposes and promises will ultimately prevail. It seemed to many that God had forsaken Israel. How many years had it been since a prophet had spoken to Israel? How many years, anybody? 400 400 years, God has abandoned us. No, he hasn't. They had thought that God had abandoned them. Seemed to many that God had forsaken Israel, but God broke his 400-year silence by using an aging, barren couple to give birth to the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. You can see this in the Old Testament, Malachi 3.1 and chapter four, verses five through six. John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Job 42.2, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God uses this couple's barrenness and brokenness turned to joy and gladness to show forth his miraculous power and to witness to the world that his final plan of redemption is now at hand in Jesus Christ. And I think in this lesson, I mean in this story, we can learn that God is working both individually and corporately. He's not only working for the nation of Israel and all of God's people. God is working here through his church as a whole but he's working in your life personally, individually. As he did with Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is what I found really fascinating. This is kind of where we end the story here is that look at what their names represent. Zechariah, his name literally means Jehovah has remembered. Elizabeth, her name literally means the oath of God. When you put their names together, it means Jehovah remembers his oath. Isn't that fascinating? I love it. <laughs> This is great. Okay, I'm finding more joy than what you are. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just like, you maybe need to think more about this because it's like, wow, that's profound. Jehovah is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. He put it in their names just so that we would get it. And then the son, their son John, what does his name mean? Literally, the favor or grace of Jehovah. And then, of course, he's gonna point to Jesus, which is God is our salvation. He is our sovereign savior, he is our sovereign savior, which, which means because, because your God is sovereign, your life is never out of control. Because he is your savior, he will always give you what you need when life is beyond your control. He's your sovereign savior. He's got the bases covered. Listen to me. He's got all the bases covered. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. So here's the question. Are the promises of God unconditional or or conditional? Are they conditional or unconditional? What are they? Yell them out to me. They are, yes, yes, they're both. They are both. Look at the next point. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law so that God could love us absolutely unconditionally. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God, find their yes in him, in Jesus Christ. So God is always for us because in Christ, our sins can never be held against us, Romans 8.1. That's not, not the freedom to sin, but the freedom not to sin. It's not a license to sin, but the liberty not to sin. He's gonna transform our lives, and that's all part of it. Now, here's my blessing for you this morning as we end our teaching. When you are feeling abandoned by God, when you are feeling let down by God, when you're feeling like he's nowhere to be found, always remember that god that jesus was abandoned in your place for your sins on the cross so that you never will be you'll never be abandoned by him. And though God may be silent, he is not absent, and his plans, his promises for you are to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29, 11. So in your struggle with sin and suffering, don't let it come between you and God, but let it press you near his heart. As you seek him with all of your heart, Jeremiah twenty-nine, thirteen, and you will find him to be a promise making and a promise keeping God in Jesus's beautiful and glorious name. We pray those things and everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys.